Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. First and foremost, I want to thank each and every one of you guys for spending this time with me. You could have been doing anything in the world right now, but you tuned into the New Living Translation, and I don't take that for granted one bit. If you've left a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else, I thank you so much. If you haven't, shame on you. Go do that. <laughs> nah, I'm playing. But in reality, um, I have a lot of fun doing this. I, I enjoy doing this. I pray it's blessing somebody. There's even more content, some behind the scenes content, some behind the text content where I go a little bit further into how I'm looking at some of this text on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash three black men. I encourage y'all to check some of that out. Consider contributing um, and allowing us to make more of this three black men content, helping Rob make some of that uh, black coffee and theology going on over there. But let's get into this because this one passage has been sitting heavy on my heart today and it made me think a lot about how we go into overtime defending foolishness and foolishness is a kind way to put it sometimes it's straight up wickedness it's this habit that we have over and over again whether we're trying to talk about the redeeming qualities of confederate generals or slave owning theologians or maybe it's talking about separating the art from the artist or why would you still be able to listen to r kelly or whatever it is and there's so much work that so many of us do in terms of trying to find redemptive qualities of people who are highly, I guess the word we use now is problematic. I won't lie, I've been guilty of some of these same behaviors. It's hard to unlearn a narrative or unlearn stories that we've put together. And sometimes we revere some of these stories. We don't want to see those stories taken apart and maybe have some things highlighted that we've overlooked because we don't want to believe that we're capable of overlooking something that bad i don't want to call this a phenomenon i think it's part of human nature but being that this is the new living translation a podcast with the tagline of bonafide bible talk i think i'd be remiss if we ain't deal with the bible which is a book that leads so many of us to do that all the time so much trash behavior in the bible and i'm being nice when i say it like that so much grimy stuff that we just read and look right on past it because we've been reading some of these stories since sunday school there's no possible way we can hear something that grimy in sunday school and have it be any sort of problematic all this stuff gotta be rated g absolutely not beloved it's one of them things that man the more you wrestle with it the more you understand how great God's love is because if God can love a people capable of some of this stuff after seeing all of these things play out then that might be unconditional love right there my goodness that's a sermon right there for somebody but at the same time there's this tendency of us to overlook what voices might not be represented in the biblical stories that we've inherited and for the next few minutes, I want to take an opportunity to look at one of those stories and wrestle with what lessons we might be able to glean from how we've interpreted these stories, how we carry these stories, and who might have something to say about these stories. It's the New Living Translation. Bonafide Bible talk about 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Let's get into it. It was springtime. King's should have been out fighting their own wars. But David 
sent Joab, one of his generals, out to lead his army instead. They gave the Ammonites that work, and they even locked up this block called Rabbah. But David was chilling back in Jerusalem with his feet up, like some sort of dawn or something. So one day, David gets out of bed after his afternoon nap. He's walking around his rooftop, bored. And then he notices this woman, this fine woman, taking a bath across town. So he sends someone to figure out who she is. And the report comes back. That's Bathsheba. Her daddy was Eliam, but she's married to Uriah, the Hittite, one of your soldiers. <laughs> David wonders what they still doing up in his face and why Bathsheba ain't there. So he sends them to go get her. She had just finished her monthly cycle, so David feels free and has his way with her. Then he sends her back home. A few weeks later, Bathsheba was late. She hits David up. I'm pregnant, your majesty. So David hits up his Lieutenant Joab. I need you to send Uriah back this way. So that's what Joab did. Uriah gets back to Jerusalem. David's chopping it up with him, shooting the woo-thee-woo, asking how the war is going, how the homies is in the field living. <laughs> David's trying to play it smooth. You've been working hard. Take yourself a break. Head home. Get you some fun times with your wife. You deserve it. David even tried to make it worth his while and send some goodies for him. But Uriah won't wire like that. He ain't go home. He slept outside with the soldiers assigned to guard the palace. Next day, David hears Uriah squatted up with the security team instead of going home. So he sent for him. What's the deal, player? I tried to hook you up. You been out fighting a good fight. Why you ain't go home last night like I said? Uriah says, man, we got God's ark and all the armies of the land living in tents right now. General Joab and the rest of my squad sleeping outside. How am I supposed to go home and do that night thing with my wife right now? I ain't built like that. All right, bro, David tells him. I feel you. Kick you here for the rest of the day and then tomorrow, you're right back in the field. And David invites him to dinner that night and he gets Uriah lit. Like lit lit. But he still won't in the mood to dirty dance with his wife. So he sleeps outside with the palace security again. And the next morning, David has to figure it out. He writes a memo for Joab. And he gives that memo to Uriah to hand deliver to Joab himself. And the memo tells Joab, I need you to put Uriah on the front lines. Wherever y'all taking the most heat. Then I need y'all to break formation and ditch him so he don't make it back home. So that's what Joab did. And the next time the battle got cracking, Uriah and a few other soldiers got murked. Then Joab sends a messenger back to David. He says, Tell him my battle formation was a little wonky and we lost some folks out by the city wall. He might get mad, ask why we would try something silly like that, fighting out there when we don't never win like that. But just tell him, Uriah died out there too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem with the message. They attacked us in the open field, we chased him towards the gates. We got peppered up pretty good. You lost some folks. Uriah too. David's cool about it. Tell Joab don't trip. Sometimes you do the killing. Sometimes you do the dying. Try harder next time or we gonna make it happen. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was killed, she was toe up. 
She went in the morning. And when she was done morning, David had her stuff packed up. And he moved it to the crib. Made her one of his wives. But God was pissed with David. So God sends a prophet named Nathan to share a story with David. Two men in this town. Rich man, poor man. Rich man got all the sheep and livestock you could ever want. Poor man ain't got nothing but one little lamb he bought. He raised that lamb right alongside his kids. The lamb ate with him and drank with him. He cuddled with that little lamb like a baby. The lamb was dang their family. And one day, the rich man is entertaining company. But instead of feeding him from his own stuff, he took the poor man's lamb and served it at his little get-together. David is mad as hell. Nah, Nathan, this story trash. That dude going to hell. The hot one. He got to pay what he owe. Like four times over. He stole from that poor man and ain't feel no way about it. And Nathan says, bruh, it's you. Yo, it is right there in the text. This is foul stuff we talking about. Like what is described in this story would by today's definitions be at the very least sexual assault. Like King David was on some Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly level predator stuff in this particular episode. And as is often the case in the Bible, we don't even get to hear from the victim in this particular instance that much. The only words we have recorded from Bathsheba in this whole epithet are I'm pregnant, basically just her letting the king know that look, when you did what you did, there was lasting consequences. I'm pregnant. That's it. We don't get to hear from Bathsheba how she might have felt. We don't get to hear any of the things that she was going through other than her mourning the death of her husband when he's out at battle and she's carrying someone else's baby. But we don't get to hear too much from Bathsheba about what she has gone through, what she's been put through. We only get to hear from the men in this story. We get to know what David is going through. We hear about Nathan's rebuke. But even with that being the case, David is explicitly rebuked. His actions are condemned in this story. There is no ambiguity about the morality or the ethics of David's actions right here. Like, no, it's dead wrong. Drop dead wrong. All of the wonderful things that we would like to celebrate about David, his magnificent battle against Goliath, all of the Psalms that he penned, all of those wonderful things, the peace that he brought to the land of Israel and the land of Judah, that does not negate what happens in this story. And as a matter of fact, there's so many layers here. You have Uriah, a man who was an ethnic minority in this land. We can tell that because every time he's brought up, it says Uriah the Hittite. That's in just a position to a lot of the Israelites. He's out there fighting for this army that he doesn't even necessarily ethnically identify with. Or at the very least, they don't seem to ethnically claim him. He's always Uriah the Hittite, an ethnic minority. And the story Nathan tells us suggests that he didn't have a whole lot of his own. But the biblical narrative also tells us that Uriah was doing the best he could, that he was an honorable man. Because while David should have been out fighting, he was chilling, taking naps, being a peeping Tom, and eventually staring at Uriah's wife. And when he does what he does, 
He takes advantage of Bathsheba. He abuses Bathsheba. He impregnates Bathsheba and he finds out what he's done. He sends for Uriah who comes back and David trying to be slick, trying to make sure that uh, Uriah can get him some and any baby he doesn't have any questions about. Uriah says, I can't do that because all of my partners, all of my comrades are still out sleeping in the field fighting for this kingdom. While David was kicking his feet up, sleeping with other people's wives, Uriah didn't even feel comfortable enjoying his own home in the company of his own wife. And we have this, this dynamic between an honorable foot soldier under the impression of a dishonorable ruler whose actions directly led to his death. This is a grave injustice in so many different levels. Uriah was wronged, Bathsheba was wronged, and David spends the rest of his life trying to atone to Bathsheba. He even names the baby that they would eventually have to be his successor on the throne, trying to make up for what he did in this one instant. If there's anything that makes David worthy of being called a man after God's own heart is that when we point out his errors, when he's confronted with these things, he doesn't deny it. He says, oh, snap, you know what? I messed up. And if I want to be anything like David, it's a man who can own the fact that I messed up, who doesn't look to justify and maneuver around injustice, but owns it and tries to make things right. So if your favorite artist once abused people, let's not explain that away. If your favorite American heroes once fought a war for the right to own slaves, let's be real about it. If your favorite theologians once owned people, we do not have to pretend that they did not own people or minimize the very real impact of denying people their freedom because it's only in owning the entirety of their body of work, only in telling the whole truth that the character of their heart is revealed and we can find out if it's worth celebrating. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, black men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05. Don't send me no Facebook requests, though. Like, I don't be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time, though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar. <laughs>